and our instructors, they just, they, they again, who, who are the best at what they do. They're the best in the world at what they do. Um, and uh, they, they just tell them, listen, tactics are just fundamentals with movement. That's all it is. Fundamentals is everything. There's no rules! Welcome back to Inside the Persimmon Pub here at Franklin Bridge, where we're joined by Agape Tactical here today. If you guys have not checked out the first episode, make sure before you listen to this one, pause right now, go back to the first episode and listen to that one. We talked about how good is the enemy of great. Yes. And uh, it was an awesome episode. We really appreciate them for coming out. Uh, before we dive into our podcast topic tonight, we want to make sure that we thank our sponsor, Strixon, for sponsoring this season of the Champions Playbook. So uh, Scott and I both use Strixon product. We love it. We would recommend you guys do too. If you guys have any questions about Strixon product, make sure that you come see Scott. Best wedges of the game, Cleveland. Best irons in the game by Strixon. And uh, if you guys have any questions about Strixon gear and product, please come out and see us first. Um, another thing, too, is that we're finally back on YouTube, and we're going to be doing that consistently uh, with all of our guests and maybe even some podcasts that Scott and I do uh, solo as well. But make sure that you are tuned into YouTube, the Champions Playbook. Make sure that you go and uh, search that on YouTube. But without further ado, uh, oh, Scott Hasse on, on Instagram, Golf. We haven't done that one in golf. Two S's, two E's. Scott Hassey. S. Hassey Golf. Excuse me. Yeah, there we go. So, Scott, I'm going to turn it over to you. Talk about uh, where we are headed in this half hour. So, this one is going to be all about fundamentals and how important they are and how they really are the driver of success. Mindset's a component of it, uh, and you can improve your mindset through fundamentals, etc. But, um, so... Fundamentals in golf just make you play better and help you handle stress. But fundamentals in what you all do, life, death, uh, protecting not only yourself but other people. Um, so talk about how, I mean, obviously you teach fundamentals in what you do, but take us a little well, deeper I, I, look. I shared it on the, uh, towards the end of the last episode uh, um, or your last podcast, the, the, uh, when we teach uh, SWAT schools and things, and, and the, the operators that, that work with us are, are the best in the business. And um, the, 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 the teammates that are being taught, they want to learn tactics. They want to learn tactics. All they want to learn is, is how do I move faster? How do I shoot quicker? How do I get from this position to this position quicker? And, and our instructors, they just, they, they, again, who, who are the best at what they do. They're the best in the world at what they do. Um, and uh, they, they just tell them, listen, tactics are just fundamentals with movement. That's all it is. My, my draw stroke's not going to change. My trigger press is not going to change. My sight picture's not going to change. My reload is not going to change. But it's going to be done while I'm moving from location to location, getting behind cover. So um, that's what fundamentals is everything. Yeah, it's, it's, um, there's a documentary called Free Solo. Uh, have, you all heard, have you all heard of Free Solo the documentary? I think you'd really appreciate it because of how it ties into what we're doing here. Uh, but free solo, there's a gentleman by the name of Alex Honnold, uh, and he free solos, which is no ropes, um, yep, climbing, 3,200 feet rock climbing of El Cap in, um, in California. And it is the, one of the most difficult walls in the world. 
and people ask, you know, what do you do? Like, how do you train? He said, what do you do about movements and things that you're afraid of? He said, I just train it to the point where it's not scary anymore. Like, there's not anything special. There's not, like, I don't do anything special. Like, I just train and train and train and train and train. They went, they went up multiple times, removing loose rock, bringing loose rock down, like, slow. They don't just, like, throw it off the wall because it can interfere other parts. Like, every little detail of fundamental climbing is how he did it. It, to me, it's the single greatest athletic feat because, it, like, one mistake, you're dead. Mm. Like, there's no – it's a little bit what you all do. Like, it's actually dangerous. Sure. It's not so actually I, dangerous. On our, on our spectrum, it takes, you know, 700 repetitions of a good draw stroke to start to become a habit, right? But it takes 7,000 repetitions of that same draw stroke to become instinctive mm. without thought, you know? just takes practice how long does that actually seem to take like if somebody's training a couple of times a week like how long does it take to get to 7,000 well if you take one of our eight-hour tactical classes and you're shooting 500 rounds of of whatever caliber you're shooting okay um you're going to start the class with with 50 to 100 draw strokes in warm-up and then throughout the day you're going to do a thousand draw strokes in in a, in a class that's awesome so you're, you're starting to embed those, those neural pathways, right, into perfection. And the, the wonderful thing about any, any type of mechanical movement, but we teach this a lot with our students, is, is what we call dry fire practice. You don't have to go to a range, uh, you know, pay a range fee, spend a ton of money on ammo, and then burn through all your ammo to get practice. You know, you, you can practice your draw stroke at home. And, you know, you can do 10 sets of 10 a night, that's 100 draw strokes, and you know, you, a few months will get you to 7,000. And you can do trigger press, and you can do reloads, all, all for free at home. That's what I try and do with my, with my personal firearm, is I'll do a dry, a dry pull. Yeah, dry fire. A dry fire, yeah, sure. and I'll, so I'll draw, make sure that I'm zoned into my target and pull. And then afterwards, I'll hold that exact same stance and then kind of like move my eye level down to make sure that my draw was right on termino- I want you to change your terminology right now. Totally. When you pull, what are you doing? You're yanking it offline. Mm. Press. Press. Smooth to I the rear. I love that. Okay. We talk about that all the time. We talk about that especially with wedges. We don't want to hit like a delicate little wedge. We want to hit a nice, crisp, nippy wedge that just lands on the green, land where you want it, and, and roll out. And not like, yeah, no, nothing, no delicate, no soft, no nothing like that. So uh, I didn't think this was going to go this way, but I, but I like it. But like language, the language that you use is important into how you perform an action. Like people go, well, you know, I don't want to swing too hard. I want to swing easy. Well, I was like, well, what does easy mean? Like our brains translate things certain ways. Mm-hmm. Smooth. Uh, having a yardage in mind, people doing counting strokes, like there's different, there's different ways of like specifically executing certain movements. Um, you know, we've got one for Ken that I'm not sharing on here because it's his own secret, like, but in his backswing, there's, there's a specific thing that translates in his brain a very specific way and he's able to repeat it. So that's why when people, you know, use terms like, well, I heard this way, you know, I need to cover the ball. Well, what that means to one person does not translate that way to you. So when you use certain language, it affects how you interact with your environment. And we've actually talked about this. Um, one of the things that drew me to you as a student was that I feel like our training styles are pretty similar in, in a lot of ways. And um, when I'm training a student, I, I want to know something about them 
because that, and that helps me know how their brain thinks. So I was training, for example, I was training a, a lady one day who is an, an artist, a painter. And so I began to, to talk about shooting the firearm in, in relating it to how she paints. That's exactly Scott right there. And, yeah, and well, he does it to me all the time. You know, he's teaching me how to swing a golf club by telling me about, you know, shooting a gun. And, but, but those, those words are things that, that create an image in her brain that she, her brain understands. And then she, once, once she understands it, then she can translate it to whatever you're trying to teach her at the moment. And so that's, that, that is that power of the words. So what I'm trying to teach you to focus on something and you're doing it wrong over and over again, I use words in a different way. I, I kind of shock you. So when someone's jerking on the trigger and they're, they're firing, if they're right hand at 8 o'clock low, I tell them, you do it again, I'm going to punch you in the face. <laughs> right? And I make them do that mantra and they think, I'm not really going to punch them in the face. But it makes them stop for a minute and yeah. then it makes them do it right. Yeah. No, there's a, it's, uh, so there's some old funny stories about Bob Toski, um, who's PJ Tour player, world-renowned instructor. He's actually who my instructor I learned from. That's who he learned from. And Toski was known for some crazy stuff. And one of them was um, a gentleman that was Hank's best friend, the guy that I learned to teach from. Took a lesson from Toski one time, and he kept, like, moving his front foot out like this before he'd hit the shot. And Toski was like, hold that foot still. Like, he's just trying to get comfortable. Hold the foot still so you don't get your aim all off. Like, hold it still, hold it still. And he'd hold it still for two or three swings, and it'd work off, and Toski would remind him. Toski got tired of it grabbed his club, walked over and whacked him upside the, that ankle. Guy never moved his foot ever again. To this day, stopped, never moved it. So, like, at some point, like, I don't recommend we do that, and I don't train that way. But, like, there are times I'm just looking at him, they're like, how do I do it? I was like, just do it. Like, keep your right foot on the ground all the way to the end of the swing. Did that with somebody today. They're like, like, and they'll do one, and the foot comes up. I was like, keep it all the way down. They're like, you mean all the way down to the very end? Yes. Like, what, what part of that command was not, like, Correct, like all the way down to the very end of the swing, like all the way there. Well, isn't that wrong? I was like, just we got to get through a fundamental component here that you're massively lacking for us to get to where we need to. And so, like, you actually have to do it all the way there. Like, how, how do I do it? Just keep it on the ground. It's not that hard. Now, there are other movements that are a lot more difficult, but, like, keeping a foot planted all the way to the end, anybody here can do. So... Certain things are more difficult than others. I'm but. curious if this is true with, with your teaching females. Women are so much easier to teach firearms from, for, um, simply because they don't have, well, their daddy didn't take them to the farm and teach them how to shoot for 30 years. Yeah. Well, your daddy taught yeah. you wrong for 30 years, and I've got to break 30 years worth of habits. Yeah. Where you stick one in their hand for the first time, you're actually molding them and doing right. it perfectly every time now. Yeah. And they're just... And, and, and so Dawn, for an example, she's not the fastest shooter that we have on our team, but Dawn teaches our men's accuracy courses. So Dawn had a mentor, one of our instructors, um, Brooks, taught, he knows, more, he's, he knows more about the trigger press than any living human being alive. He just, <laughs> he is a student of the trigger press. Well, he passed all of that knowledge down to Dawn. And now Dawn pours that out into, our, in, into, into her, her classes. But as just a pure tech technician of how to shoot the gun, how to shoot, make the bullet go straight, she's the best shooter we have. And, and I've got military operators. I mean, I've got really good tech technicians, but just pure shooting, she's about technically the, the strongest shooter we have. Yeah, I, I would generally agree with that with um, women. There are some exceptions to it. There are some that grew up 
their dad was a golfer and so granddad taught them and they were kind of forced to learn but a lot of them don't have that knowledge and so they're easier to teach and some go well men are just more egotistical than women well ego comes with knowledge so like when there's an absence of knowledge or understanding or skill ego tends to be down because you look like a fool if you have an ego so like it's actually a protective mechanism so men come at it with all this knowledge or conceived knowledge of what they're supposed to do that isn't actually what they in particular need to do so I yeah I, I would agree with that and and two as well um, I'm curious to hear y'all's take on this because in the golf world I think one thing that I'm going to brag on myself here a little that makes me a really good student is that I'm willing to fail and I'm willing to try the things out that I'm like, Scott will tell you, he's going to teach me one thing. I'm going to be like, well, what if I did it this way? And he's like, all right, we'll do it. And then I, I do it. It either works out or it doesn't. And, but I'm willing to learn from that. And so I'm curious, especially in, in such a, such an area that requires so much skill and attention do you guys ever see that on the range where you do get people who've been slinging on the farm for 30 years and then they come in and you need to remold them, but they have this ego about them. Is there any way that you guys resonate with them or break them down in order to build them back up or teach them to be students at the end of the day? In the beginning of every class, we tell them, we are not teaching you the way. We're teaching you a way. We're trying to teach you the most fundamental way that we teach police departments, we teach you know, when I went through the FBI firearms school, this is what they taught us. This is the best way to, transit, to translate and transition this information into you to help you learn it. It doesn't mean it's the way. There's, there's 10 different ways to enter this room and make entry, right? But there's a fundamental way. There's the five rules of absolutes that as long as you apply those, you can do it any way you want to. But it's, it's A, so we're, we're never going to be arrogant enough to say, this is the only way to do it. It's not. But, we're, but when we're molding a new person, at least... They, they need to know we're teaching them the, um, the, the, the best practices industry standard way. The target is the great revealer. Uh, you know, when people come to us, obviously, like, they, they want to have a better target at the end of the day, right? Just like, you know, people want to shoot a lower score, right? So um, a lot of times when you have people who, who feel like they already know it all, if you show them what you can do, and it's not to brag, it's just to, to, this is what's possible. Most common phrase, my, my, my sights are off. Yeah, right, my sights are off. Let me see your gun. Boom, no, they're not. Um, my aim is bad. No, your swing just sucks. But uh, you don't have to shoot everything low left. You know, everybody feels like, oh, you know, I've shot a low left my whole life. But then when they see you put it right between the crosshairs, they realize, oh, I don't have to shoot low left. And, and, and then they start to listen to you. It's funny, too. I've seen Scott do this once, um, and I'm sure it's the same with you guys, where people will be like, oh, man, it's just my clubs. And Scott will go up and grab the club and hit, like, a pure shot. And you're like, oh, no, it's not the, uh, <laughs> it's not the arrow, it's the archer. <laughs> one of my mentors told me one time, his dad told him, it ain't the gun, son. <laughs> so, and that's, we do that all the time, you know, we'll, we'll take somebody's gun and, and shoot it and then they'll realize. In fact, I was on the range one time um, with a Marine and uh, his, my friend brought him to me and he, he wouldn't listen to a word that I said. He was very arrogant. He was a Marine and I'm a, I'm a woman. And he, he demonstrated this problem that he was having and his, he couldn't get more than two rounds fired through his gun without the gun malfunctioning. 
And he sent it back to Glock a couple of times, and Glock kept sending it back going, our guns are fine. Mm, there's a pattern here. <laughs> and so we go to the range, and sure enough, on the second round, the gun malfunctions. And he goes, see, the gun's broken. And, and I, tried, I was trying to help him. I was trying to teach him fundamentals, you know, before we even shot, and he just wouldn't listen. So finally I said, all right, shoot it. So, you know, second round, it malfunctions. I said, okay, give me the gun. I, I cleared the malfunction, and then I proceeded to empty the entire magazine into the target. <laughs> And, and then I turned and looked to him and I said, it ain't the gun, son. My friend in the background is on the ground laughing. And from that point on, it was, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, ma'am. <laughs> what was the problem at the end of the day? It was him. He was the problem. He was, he was limp-wristing the gun. He, was, he, was, he didn't have a proper grip. Oh. And he wouldn't listen to me explain what a proper so grip was. So the round was. would come back and catch so, on the... So every time you fired, the gun would... Would recall more than it should, yeah. and it would it would catch the the <laughs> casings as he was trying to extract it. So you know, in the end, it wasn't his Glock gun that was the problem; it was him. And once he realized that and knew that I understood that, you know, he listened. Wow, awesome. wow. So. I love that story. <laughs> That's so good. Well, I'd love to hear some some more fundamentals from y'all as far as uh, taking take me through kind of like a 101 for dummies version for the people listening at home, somebody who might want to get into firearms training, um, number one, or self-defense, you know, what are, what are some things that they can do to at least start the process and then some things that they can expect when they begin the process or they decide to take on that journey? You go, but I want to repress. Well, I'm going to let you do Magnificent 7 oh, okay. and I want to talk about the color codes. All right. So um, when we talk about self-defense, every class starts with um, the color codes of awareness. Right, ninety percent of all Americans live in condition code white. That means they are completely relaxed but unaware of their surroundings. You know, if you let someone sneak up behind you and tickle you, and you get startled, you're living in condition code white. Right? When we're watching the Masters on the couch, we're in condition code white. We have no idea what's going on around us. Right? Um, and 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 then that may be okay for the for the home when the doors are locked and you got a big German Shepherd. But when you're out outdoors, um, that's not a good condition to be in. Right? So so we try to teach people and encourage them to live in condition code yellow, which is relaxed but aware. It is not a state of paranoia, it's a state of preparedness. That's all it is. One of the easiest ways, so when I was in the FBI, I interviewed um, seven rapists at Turin Prison, and uh, the Bureau wanted an idea of what do they look for in a victim. So I interviewed these bad guys individually, and, and they, uh, they said their favorite place to attack a female is in what's called a place of transition. When you're going from a, a building of safety, like a mall or an office building or a hospital, and you're going into that unknown, the parking garage, the parking lot, the darkness, right? And they said the easiest way for a, for a woman to not become a victim is when she leaves those doors, you know, the, 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 the magnetic doors that open and close, and she's about to step into the parking lot. If she'll look left and look right with a purpose and actually scan her surroundings, they go into the assumption she's identified them, and they don't want to mess with her. Wow. It's, it, it could be that simple. And unfortunately, these, um, these, these cell phones that are so incredible um, that, that could run NASA, right, um, they have caused our country to go into an acute case of anal cranial insertion because people are walking around looking at this and, 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 and uh, uh, getting run over by cars because they're paying attention to their phone. They don't see the gorilla walking up behind them about to attack them. And the favorite way to attack is they push you down between two cars. They don't spend more than 90 seconds with you. It's, it's an... It's an attack, it's not a, a courtship. Does that make sense? But it's all about being aware and, and every conflict you avoid, you win 100% of the time. So you're scanning the parking lot and you see somebody parked next to your vehicle, 
Instead of walking out to your vehicle, what do you do? Well, you go back inside and you get someone to walk you to your car. That's why I like my wife shopping at Publix so much. They're always walking you to your car. There's always safety in numbers, you know? So, um, but then the, so, so you've got white and then you've got yellow, which is awareness. And then you've got orange. That's your intuition. And unfortunately, um, good people, and this, this comes from Vanderbilt psychology, they say good people always acquiesce what they see to the positive versus the negative or reality. So you, you, you see a situation and you see, you're walking out to your car and you see three guys leaning up against a car drinking some beer and talking. Your brain says they must just be unwinding after work, catching up with each other. But what's really happening is there could be waiting for you to come out and they're looking for a victim. But our brain always acquiesces what we see. Because, now, because we're good people, bad people, it's the exact opposite. They're looking at how can I attack and how can I do harm. They're the wolf looking for the sheep. So we have to start listening and trusting our intuition to keep us from becoming a victim. And then red is, I'm in the fight. What have you trained to do? Right? It, it could be as simple as if you're living in condition yellow and somebody's coming, you could run. There's no cowardice in running. There's no cowardice in surviving. Okay? But, but what have you trained to do? Remember under stress, three things happen to you, right? Tunnel, heart rate goes up. Um, you, uh, the blood leaves uh, your extremities and goes to your heart, brain, and your lungs because if they, you get injured, they need oxygenated blood the longest for you to survive so your hands, fingers go numb. That's why people can't feel their hands under stress. Well, that's why today under this game that I played for the first time, like my awareness in my wedges is mostly out of my arms and hands. Mm -hmm. And so like all of that was gone for about three or four holes until I could settle down. Mm -hmm. And so also too, it was, it was windy and a little bit cold too. And, and I'm the same way. I come from a baseball background. And so I think Scott and I would both say that the two of us can feel, and, and I think our game really runs through our arms and our fingers. Mm -hmm. And when we are playing in a cold condition or, if we're super, if we're under stress, we lose our greatest, our greatest superpower in the game. And uh, Scott, I would love to, to have you talk about that a little bit too. Sure. So the first thing that you lose under stress is, is your ability to, f you lose all fine motor skills. You lose the blood flow in your fingers. You can't do that. Second thing you lose, you get tunnel vision. You lose 70% of your visual acuity. You have no peripheral vision. And the third thing is called audio exclusion. Um, you can't hear people heckling you, yelling at you. You can't hear gunfire. And is this just fight or flight, basically? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's that now you're, the next stage is that neuroepinephrine dump. Mm. So that's where you're at right now. Is it just because your brain is telling you, we need to focus on what's in front of us right now kind of thing? Well, it's, 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 the, it's how the brain and the body protects itself. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. That's why in, in law enforcement, we can't yell, time out, let me get my earplugs, put my earplugs in, draw my <laughs> weapon, and fire my gun. Yeah. So how are we all not deaf? Well, we're not deaf because of audio exclusion. Right? Your hearing shuts off and all you hear is pop, 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 pop. But I also can't hear my partner yelling at me from the side. Right? So the, this is the way the body defends itself is by pooling all the blood to where it needs to be, making you focus on what the threat is, and then limiting your ability to hear to keep you from going deaf. Okay, so that, I've got a curious question then for you. Okay. So when we, just law enforcement, when they're firing off live rounds with no, no hearing protection, after the rounds are fired, mm -hmm. for me, if I'm in the range, and granted it's echoey in there, but like when I'm in the range and my, my ear cup comes off like a half a centimeter from my face, like my ear is 
is gone for the next 30, 45 seconds. Is that the same with law enforcement, or are they just trained to be able to get through that? Well, first of all, in a, on a practice facility, we're never without air protection. Totally. Never. Totally. In, real, in the real world, you're going to go through audio exclusion for about 30 minutes until the chemical imbalance in your body settles down. Mm. And, and usually what they do is they give you a sugar, um, a Coca-Cola, and a candy bar to help the sugar counteract. And I don't know if there's anything medical about it, but that's what our policy always was. They mm. give you sweets to help counteract the chemical imbalance to help your body come back to norm. Interesting. So, no, our ears don't ring because we can't hear anything. Okay? Interesting. I love that. So, but, <laughs> that's so but, cool. So, yeah. so, so we got white, unprepared, yellow, prepared, but still relaxed, orange, start listening to your intuition, red, I'm in the fight, what have I trained to do? And then finally, black, I'm in system overload because I've not been prepared. If you live life in white, the only place you can go is black. Mm. If you live life in yellow, you can transcend yellow or orange, or you can go from red back to yellow, or you can, but you're, you're, you, you will never find yourself in black. I love that. Okay. And, and Scott, can you relay that to golf real quick and, and just talk about the color codes and what that would mean for a golfer? Yeah, so most golfers live in driving range world. <laughs> I can hit balls. I can hit another ball. 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 There's no stress. Like, I might get a little upset that I'm hitting it bad, but that's a, different, that's a different thing than this one right now has to be good. And then the next one also has to be good. And then my buddy shouted in my backswing on the next one. Now I'm distracted and pissed off at him for the next like people will hang on that for multiple shots and they keep blaming things back there, but they're, they're white, black. Like when they're in black, like I it's almost impossible to get them out of there. Now this is, this sounds crazy, but like doing something like, um, in the movie 10 cup where breaks the clubs over his leg, like would shock a player. Like what, wait, why, why'd you just break? Like, yeah, we're not hitting your, we're not hitting your driver anymore. Psh, snapped over the leg. It, it forces them out of black. Now, if the only place they have to go is white, white's still better than black at that point. But they just, people live in white, which is why I talk about golf practice is too easy. Like, college coaches will go, okay, you need to land five in a row from here into a 60-yard target. That still doesn't matter enough. Like, that's a, that's a step in the right direction. I need it to hurt, like, boom, right now. It needs to be emotionally painful probably not going to be physically painful because it's golf. Uh, you could get into, like, there are some sports psychologists that do, like, push-ups, but that doesn't actually, like, that raises the heart rate, but you can raise the heart rate without doing a workout. Like, I don't need them to train for their muscles to be physically fatigued. I need them to be, like, I just need them, their heart rate to be up. So I can put them in stressful situations without having to do that. And coaches just don't do enough of it. We as, we as golf professionals don't do enough of it. It's starting to trend that way, but we're still too soft on them. Like, it needs to be harder. Yeah, but what if I cry and whatever? Like, good. Then we'll learn how to live with that because I, I, I can deal with that. And that's why players will shoot, they'll shoot 78 and then they'll shoot 90 like that because everything's good, I'm okay, things are fine. Now I'm at 78, and shoot, I'm, I'm playing my best yet, and I'm third on the team, and I've never been third on the team. And if I play well, I get to play in the next tournament. Boom, 92. What happened? Well, you went from white to black. You, you, because you haven't trained anything in between. 
I'm going to sit there and I'm going to hit the same six-foot putt from one spot. And again, you know, just like training a firearm, I'm sure there's like you need to have some just at a singular target for a certain period of time. Like we need to learn the movement. But at some point, you've got to get out of that and learn how to do it when there's actually something on the line. That's why I keep saying So it's so great to hear this because this is the message I've been trying to get out. But I haven't had anything to compare it to. I would love to ask you all a question, too, about um, the sport three-gun and if you guys believe that that is a great way for, for people who are interested in firearms to not only compete but also train in the same way or if you have any experience with it. So I, I was a competitive shooter, and um, uh, anytime you're shooting and people are watching you is a great way to train. Yeah. It's a great way to train. Same with golf. Yeah. Now, the negative – on sports shooting is they don't allow you to use, I'm not saying it's a negative, let me rephrase that. The difference between sports shooting and tactical shooting is there's no use of cover, there's no use mm. of tactics. Totally. It's just run to that point, shoot a bunch of rounds, run to the next point, shoot a bunch of rounds, don't miss. Wonderful, especially when people are either laughing at you or they're, they're cheering you on. But, um, but it, it's, it's a great way to train. Mm. You just have to understand that it is something very different. It's, it's not, um, it's not preparing you to defend your life, but, but there are, like he said, there's good lessons to learn from it as long as you keep that difference. Totally. And I was kind of referencing, too, that it would be a great way to practice your tactical skills in not necessarily a life or death environment where you can draw and you can function from different guns and be able to reload, unload, holster, put it back in, all that. Sorry if I'm not using the right terminology. Uh, so... I kind of want to push this in a slightly different direction because I, I like to think about the junior golfers that I teach, the college players, guys and girls that I teach. Uh, just I teach a lot of women as well. Like, how does that look like in a self-defense situation or a kid getting bullied at school or like, you know, the first instinct with a kid shouldn't be to punch a kid in the nose, I don't think. There's, there's, we're back to the multiple options here rather than just getting tunnel vision and like curling in, in a ball. Oh, my gosh, I'm getting emotionally abused or physically abused like what like what does that world look like from a fundamental standpoint i guess it's still the white black from white to black type training when a when a young person is trained they're less likely to be bullied because they carry themselves differently does that make does that make sense totally you have you ever looked at somebody and said damn, I wouldn't mess with them if I were you. Just, and they haven't said a word. Yeah. They walked in the way they, you could just tell the way they were scanning the room. Confidence. Yes, and I remember one time we were on the first green. We did, we did this with these kids yeah, on the putting green. Uh, but we were playing, and I had a putt. Um, I was standing just kind of off of where Ken was, and like he backs up to look at his putt, and he basically backs up into me. Not being rude, but, like, that's just, like, this, like, don't mess with Ken kind of feel. Because there's, there's an air of it's – not, it's not arrogance. It's not cockiness. It's confidence. It's confidence. Um, and Jack and I did this one day on the putting green. There's a bunch of high school kids on the putting green, on our old putting green that was super tiny and there's no room. And we had three of the little flags, and Jack and I were over here at these two. And I nudged at Jack. I said, hey, I just want you to hit – a putt or two over to the one that they're all practicing to. Don't, don't be rude. Don't interrupt them, but, like, practice to the same hole. There's enough room. Like, go practice enough to them. And what happened was 
Like, he hits one putt over there, nothing really happens. Hits two putts over there. You see a little movement. And then he starts walking to grab his golf balls, pulls them back further away. All of a sudden, a couple of them break off. He hits two more putts to there, and he walks up to grab those. The rest of them, they all of a sudden, they're on another hole. And then I let him stay at that hole for a little bit, and I, I was looking across at him. I was like, go back again. And so it's just like the confidence, he was just moving. He could move the entire crowd. But, yeah, that's the – they look confident. So, anyway, continue. That was – Actually, I thought that was cool. <laughs> We've actually had that experience. We've had that experience, yeah. I'd like to uh, sort of kind of go back to Jack's question a little bit ago, but, it, but because it relates to you and how you train your students, um, going back to the fundamentals. In, in shooting, um, we have seven basic fundamentals, and we call them the Magnificent Seven just for fun. Um, and they are grip, stance, presentation, sight alignment, sight picture, trigger press, and follow through. So those are, when, we, when we're doing a basic class, we hit all of those and we teach each one, you know, what, is, what does this mean, what does this look like, how do you do it? And those are our, our fundamentals. And, you know, with those seven fundamentals, you can then take that and apply that in whatever tactical or competitive situation you want to. But, but you, you bring to the table those seven fundamentals. So my favorite one, and Ken has alluded to, is the trigger press, because it is also the most important one. Um, you, you can have a bad grip, and, and, I, and I demonstrate this in, in my classes. You can have a bad grip. You can stand on one leg. You can do a lot of things wrong. But She'll hold the gun upside down <laughs> when, with her pinky finger, yeah, pull the trigger. Exactly. And as long as the sights are lined up, it's going to hit. It, yes. So assuming, assuming you can line your sights, um, the trigger press is the single most important um, part of shooting a gun accurately. And um, the problem is people are used to doing it wrong. And so one of the ways that I have learned to teach them a proper trigger press is through feeling. And we've had so many conversations about feels. And um, so what I do is they're, they're holding the gun, and I'm, and I'm telling them, you aim the gun, and, but I'm putting my finger on their trigger, and they put their finger on my finger. And I tell them, relax, don't do anything. I just want you to feel what my finger does as I'm pressing this trigger. And so I will then proceed to press the trigger, and, and I take it back nice and easy and smooth. The, there's four S's to a proper trigger press. Slow, smooth, steadily increasing pressure, and straight to the rear of the gun. And so I will perform that trigger press, and they will feel that. And I'll say, now, is that different than what you've been doing? And 100% of the time, I get yes. So I'll do it once or twice more. And then I say, okay, now your finger's on the trigger, my finger's on your finger, you, you imitate what I just did. Mm. And, and so they will, and I'm, and I'm along for the ride to make sure they do it right. And if they don't, I'll tell them, okay, wait now, there was, there was a jerk to that. Did you feel that? Okay, yes, okay. All right, now smooth that out. And once they get that proper trigger press, then I say, okay, now it's your turn. You shoot that. And the vast majority of the time, they will bullseye that first shot after I teach them how a trigger press feels. Do you guys ever? Um, yes, that was Scott. <laughs> that was that was. And I said, "See, you're a perfect shooter. We just figured that out." <laughs> Do you guys ever play with with trigger weights and and different? The, the, for example, like a, a five pound. I'm getting in the weeds, but like a five pound trigger press versus any anything else. Like it, it, different trigger pulls for different. For example, we would we would put a different shaft on a golf club. Right. Yeah. Do you guys put different like? Uh, there there are people who do. Um, you run into an issue if with, with your gun that you're using for self defense. Mm -hmm. All right. You can run into an issue with that. Um, you know because a, a, a 
prosecutor can can say that you mess with your trigger and then that caused you to, to shoot errantly or something mm, like that. Am mm. I correct? Or, or your intention was to kill somebody and that's why you uh, put a light trigger. Light on trigger, there. yeah. Gotcha, yeah. Um, so there's there's some issues you get into, but but I like a slightly less lighter trigger press, mm -hmm. and and so uh, I do like to lighten. Not so much that that. You know, I'm just going to go crazy. But, but the, the important thing is you have to train with whatever trigger you're on. Right. And you have to be perfect with a five-and-a-half-pound trigger if that's what you've got. You've got to be perfect with a four-pound trigger if that's what you've got. Or if you've got a revolver, a ten-pound trigger. You know, <laughs> so that, and that's the key. And you don't want to, to a bunch of different guns with a bunch of different uh, weights um, because then, then your brain kind of gets confused. Mm, love it, love it. Scott, wrapping thoughts? Yeah, yeah. I want Ken to finish up what he was talking about with, the kids being bullied or picked on or in a dangerous situation, whatever that may be, kind of finish that thought with, like, first one is, like, they develop this, like, different body awareness or confidence. Well, just, you, you know, we, we, we can't teach kids to fight in school anymore, right? When, when I was in school, uh, uh, they, when we had a problem, we'd go at lunchtime, go behind the gym, we'd duke it out, and then go have lunch together and be best friends the rest of the year, right? But th that's how you, we, we solve problems. Well, nowadays, you, you get in a fight, you get suspended for, for a week. So, but um, um, I say that because people ask me when we're teaching a, a Krav Maga class or we're teaching a spear class or, or whatever class we're teaching, they say, will this work, you know, when a professional fighter or an MMA guy, you know, come? first of all, I, I don't ever have to worry about that because those guys will never fight you because they're professional fighters. They have self-control, they have nothing to prove. You, you understand? People who train, they have the self-confidence. They're not going to start bullying people in pick fights. It's the big guy who uh, is looking for attention who's gonna pick on you. Mm. And, and mm. yes, the way you carry yourself can eliminate a lot of those issues. However, um, if you get backed up into a corner, being able to defend yourself can solve a lot of issues for the rest of your life. Hmm. You know, um, deal, with, deal with that, and word gets around, no one mess with you. You may get suspended for a day, but, but I, I told my daughter, she's 10, and, and um, said, anybody ever touches you, you throat punch them. And if, you gotta sit, if I got to sit home with you for a week, we're going to go have a party for a week. But don't, let, don't let anyone ever touch you inappropriately, and I'll deal with the consequences. Yeah, because that consequence is far smaller. So. than the real-life consequences. So. Look, I've, I've, taught, I've taught guys and girls who've been assaulted in various ways, and I learn about it once they're in college, usually. And at that point, I can direct them to counselors and people who can help them. But, like, that world is very real, and, you know, that kind of abuse and bullying shouldn't be tolerated, but they're also... It can be stopped, it can be avoided, you can build confidence. Like, there's a lot of things that can be done before we ever get to that. And mm -hmm. I, I think we've... I love that y'all do that. I, I love seeing things like martial arts, Krav Maga, like that seems to be on a massive growth right now, which I think is great. Um, it's just, I think how you all do it's a little bit different. Just, just remember this. It's up to you and you alone to defend you and your family. Do you understand when, when, when seconds count, police are minutes away. Mm. D does that make sense? Totally. And, and 30 seconds in a, in a, in a fight is an eternity when you're, when you're fighting, it's an eternity. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I, when I ask, I, I ask the class, I, I say, so Scott, 
when you tuck your kids at bed at night at 10 o'clock and you lock the doors and, you, and you're, you're laying in bed with your, with your bride and you're watching friends on, on uh, Netf, uh, uh, Nickelodeon and someone kicks in the door, whose responsibility is it to deal with it? Is it the neighbors? Is it, is it the police? Is it the homeowner association president? Or is it your responsibility? It's yours. What have you done to prepare for it? Mm. Because coming up with a plan when that door just got kicked in is too late because now you're in black because you've lived in condition white up to that point and now the only place you can go is black Mm. so you're affectionately what we call a victim I love that you guys not only teach tactical skills but a common theme that I've heard across these last two podcasts is that you guys just teach confidence too and confidence in any kind of situation, and especially when we were talking about um, the younger audience and just how they carry themselves, I feel like people who are prepared, and I can just feel it coming off the two of you, just the confidence that's just coming from you guys. So I think that for anybody who wants to get involved in understanding what that might look like for them, to make sure they go see Agape Tactical, that's for sure. <laughs> any, uh, any closing thoughts, Scott? Well, I, I think it's... There's so much we can learn from that world, like sports can learn from self-defense and firearms training in that space. Because it's not only for the protection of your families, but you learn how to deal with difficult situations and dangerous situations. And then it's, it's actually fairly easy to flip that to golf. Now, you still have to train it over here in golf too, but it's fairly easy to like when somebody becomes disciplined, if we just use self-discipline as an example, when they become self-disciplined in one area of their life, it begins to bleed into other areas and that continues to flow and expand. Now they still will have some weaknesses in certain areas, but they can expand it. But when there's nothing to hold on to, that's, that's the difficult part. The, the hardest people to teach are the ones who haven't learned how to do anything on their own. Or the ones who haven't stressed it. You know, it's, I stand on the driving range. I'm like, go play. Actually, so I'll finish this off with a story. I had a kid um, hour and a half from here, played a tournament here, saw that I was an instructor, saw that I had a book. Parents bought the book. Kid came to see me. As a young junior golfer, he was shooting in the low 70s all the time. And then over the course of about three or four years, he couldn't, couldn't do anything. And I started talking to him. And I was like, how much of your time do you spend on the golf course? Like almost none, and he goes to tournaments. I was like, "So you're, how much time do you spend on the range?" Well, he's on the range like five to eight or nine hours a day. I was like, "How are you not like one of the best kids in the state?" Well, I said, "All right, here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna play a hundred holes a week." Parents were like, "Hundred holes?" I was like, "It's a hundred holes a week. If we're gonna work together, it's gonna be a hundred holes a week." In two weeks, he won his first tournament in like five years. Because I finally stressed him and put him in, he had to solve the problem. Like it wasn't about the swing being perfect anymore. What about this uneven lie? What about when I'm, you know, I'm so nervous over this five footer or three footer or two footer for that matter. How do I handle it? He's continued. He's had multiple wins since then. I've done just a tiny little technique adjustment. But other than that, like he was already equipped when he came to see me. He just wasn't trained in another level of fundamentals, which is under that stress. Now he's not going from white to black. 
he's now living in this yellow where he can be, he can handle orange and red without just, oh my gosh, what happened? Kid couldn't break 80. And he was in the low 70s before, and he's had a couple of rounds in the 60s. So went to the state tournament, and you know he didn't do this in the actual round of the state tournament, but in his practice round, I think he shot 66 or 67. You know, you can edit this out, because I don't know if this really applies, Jack, but you just <laughs> said equipped, right? When we, when we train our churches, and, and we have these safety teams, and we get all people, all ages, all sizes, right? And, and we tell them, you know, God does, God does not always call the equipped to do this job, but he will always equip the called. You understand? Totally. So. I love that. Well, we're going to wrap it up here from inside the Persimmon Pub here at Franklin Bridge. Guys, thank you so much for coming. Agape Tactical. Uh, please let the audience know where they can find you. If they want to get involved in this stuff, where, where do they need to go? Well, they need to go to uh, www.agapetactical.com. Agape is spelled A-G-A-P-E. Um, and then uh, you can also email us at info at agapetactical.com. Um, and then we're on Facebook as well. So. Love that, love that. Guys, thanks so much for being here tonight. It's been awesome conversation. I already know that I want you guys back on the podcast. So thanks for coming out to Franklin Bridge. Thanks for playing here. Thanks for being here. And looking forward to when we have some better weather out on the patio. Maybe we'll have a beer and, and have another podcast together. So thank you guys so much. Thank you. Um, we also want to thank our title partner, Strixon, for sponsoring season three of the Champions Playbook. Um, if you guys want to go ahead and follow Scott on Instagram, you can find him at Golf. two S's, two E's. Um, also, Golf Decoded. Scott's second book is out right now. If you guys want to uh, see where you might be able to find that, make sure that you DM him on Instagram. It's almost on Amazon, but DM him on Instagram at Golf. Also, his first book, The Champion's Playbook, is available on Amazon right now. That's where you can find that one. So from Jack, Scott, and Agape Tactical, here from inside the Resume Private Franklin Bridge, thank you so much for watching, viewing, subscribing, following, whatever you guys are doing. Thank you so much. We'll see you on the next one. Peace.